rethink how your customers are doing business, right? Again, it's back to knowing them as well or better than they know themselves, right? And help them do something they can't do today or something you don't help them do today, but help them do something that's highly valuable to them that they can't do or have a hard time doing today and lead with that. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us. Uh, we have a, a, a guest today that's uh, been with us before, John Mansour from Proficience. Uh, recently, we had a really nice discussion. We were talking about innovation being a result, not a process. John took us through the why of product management. And I remember one thing that stood out was he said, you want to understand your customers better than they understand themselves. You know, I've heard as you really experiences I've had where you really dig in, if you can get the customer to just say that without even asking, hey, you know us better than we know ourselves, you, you, you really won. So, John, that was a great that was a great line there, a great suggestion. And you also took us through the uh, difference between a product manager and a product owner and why they shouldn't be the same person. So I encourage I encourage you folks, if you want to go listen to that podcast, the title is Innovation is a Result, Not a Process. And go check that one out. So, John, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you again. Looking forward to today. Yeah, yeah. How's business? Business is fabulous. Thank you. Good, good. The the downtime or the the, the struggles of trying to get something going remotely and all, that, that's all behind us now, isn't it? Uh, it is all behind us, yes. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, everyone just kind of froze for a while. You know, we had already been doing some things remotely. And I think our clients just sort of threw the tile in and said, you know, training's got to go on and, and it's going to have to go remote. So uh, it wasn't a big change for us. I think it was more a big change for them. Yeah. And now, do you find that they're more comfortable with it now and they're kind of sticking with being uh, working remote? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And this is the most surprising thing to me because I was expecting like people would be like, oh, <clears throat> you know, this will do in the meantime, but we, we want to go back to on site. The efficiency of doing it remote, I think, is so much better. And, you know, we, we do video meetings like this and have breakout rooms. It's, it's much more structured. We've also gone from, you know, like two full days in a training room to four four hour sessions. So people are four hours in training, and then they got the rest of the day to, to do their job and keep their head above water. I think overall, people like it much better. I think the face-to-face -face yeah. thing is still the the downside, but everything else, I think everyone likes it a lot better. Yeah, good. Good to hear that companies are getting used to it, making, making it be effective in what they do across, whether it be training, whether it be innovation, whether it be uh, the executive meetings, the boardroom type things. It's it seems to be uh, working very well. So glad to hear your perspective on that. Well, John, we wanted to talk a little bit about today, uh, just kind of continuing along the lines of where we were last time, talking about product management and the type of products and what it, what it means to have different types of products. And you suggested an area that would be good to talk about product-led growth. Maybe you could start off by telling us what that means. Yes. Yeah, so product-led growth is a, it's a new business model. And I think it's really going to have an impact on the B2B software space, software as a service space. So, you know, the consumerization of 
B2B enterprise software started when uh, Mr. Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone in the App Store. And then that sort of set the bar and people are like, well, why can't my accounting application be that easy? Or why can't my order entry application be that easy? Right. So it's been evolving over time. And so I think the product led growth model has sort of kicked that into high gear because it's a complete change in the business model of how you build, market, sell, and deploy B2B software or enterprise software in the B2B space. And so I think more and more, you know, so if you're a new company starting up, right, it, starting from the ground up is much easier than taking, you know, a company that's fairly mature, that's been around, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and changing it from a traditional direct model to a product-led growth model. And I think that's, you know, that's where uh, a lot of companies are headed and everyone's trying to figure out the best, easiest way to get there. Yeah. Are there some examples where you say this is a really good example of a company that has made the transition? Yeah. So right now, you know, a lot of the B2B companies are actually in the transition, right? So everybody will look at companies like Calendly or Zoom or uh, Slack, right? Which started that way from the ground up. And again, the whole point behind product-led growth is someone gets to try your, your product or a part of your product for free. They find tremendous value in it, but you limit the capabilities. And then, you know, it's like, well, uh, this is valuable enough that I am willing to pay to get more capabilities, right? So it's, it's a user-driven model and it's like a land and expand model, right? So like if two people inside a big organization start using Calendly or Slack, and then everybody who gets a meeting with them starts using it, they go, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. I want to use this too, right? Mm -hmm. So you grow the adoption that way. So in essence, you know, the product has to sell itself starting with a free trial. And again, if you think about how that changes just the entire complexion of a well-established company, um, it's significant in just about every respect you can think of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want this to be about Sophion, but it is clearly a direction we are going and as well. So I think uh, I'm going to learn something on this podcast from you on, on, on things we need to be doing. But um, from a product management standpoint, what, what are the implications of that decision? I mean, do you have to start over or can you transition to it? Uh, if you're a product manager, right, you got to bring a product to market. How do you think differently? Just talk to us about some of those things. Yeah. So, you know, for, for product management, it's probably easier to talk about the one thing that doesn't change. And so if you are managing products or you're going to build new products, the one thing that doesn't change is you still have to understand what your customers are trying to accomplish, why it's important to them, why they can't get there, and then deliver something that is of value to them, right? And it's, yes. it's making sure they can measure that value, okay? So that part of product management doesn't change. Everything else does. So the definition of a product in traditional fashion in an enterprise product company, the definition of a product is, you know, 80-20 rule, the core functionality of the product. In a product-led growth model, the definition of a product is the entire customer journey from start to finish. Okay? Because you you have to build the product to accommodate that entire customer journey. Now, it's not that you shouldn't have done that now or in, in prior days, it's just that it is now a requirement. It is, it is a baseline requirement. Mm -hmm. we, we had a crutch before called the sales organization, right? Yeah. The sales organization, the support organization, the customer right. success organization. Yes, they were all crutches. Yeah, yeah. And, and they could kind of get you through 
if the product didn't exactly make sense or wasn't immediately understood, selling to the executives, right? Selling top down mm -hmm. versus bottom up. Yeah. And it, you know, that whole bottom up thing, the product now has to sell itself. And, you know, obviously there will still be marketing to, to sort of get people to try it, but it's not, you're not filling a pipeline of leads giving to a direct sales force. You are marketing in a way that is encouraging individual users who work in an organization to try something for free that's of value. Hopefully they love it, they spread the word, but the product has to sell itself because there's no demo, there's no, uh, let me help you figure out how to use this product, right? It is all, it's essentially self-serve, right? So you decide how you wanna buy, you decide how you wanna be marketed to, you decide the pace at which you will adopt capabilities and pay for them. So it really puts the control of everything in the hands of your customers. It's much more of a pull than a push. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So in the old model, sales led growth, we went through some kind of business, you know, contact, marketing, finding people, finding a contact, finding somebody willing to listen. Sales goes out and does it. Product comes in, sometimes heavy training, sometimes heavy customization, sometimes not. And a big investment up front, users had to use it. They were told to use it, right? Either you were either you were on board with it, like it or not, you were going to use it, right? So tell us diff the differences now. I mean, it sounds very different what you're describing. It is different. So back to it's all in the hands of your users. Now the mentality is my users have to love using this product or I will fail. Like they have to want to live inside my product or or I will fail. Okay. There's no mandates anymore to use it. It's one of those where you want to use it, right? It makes it makes doing whatever your job is easier to do and you want to use it. And you know, you look at the the rash of uh, video meeting applications out there, right? And so right, the benefits of doing a video meeting as opposed to getting on a plane and traveling and all that, the, the benefit is obvious. But they're not all equal in terms of their usability. And, you know, Zoom is leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else because product is so good and it it's simple to use and sold itself. And, you know, the rest is different. Right. So you mentioned, you know, we talked about it last time, know your customers better than they understand themselves. But I, I think what you're saying now is those customers are the users as opposed to the companies. Is that is that true or is there still a company angle that's important? Uh, in B2B, there is always, always, always a company angle, right? So the way in which you would go gather requirements, you always want to gather requirements from the top down. You just have to figure out how to implement the capabilities to support those requirements from the bottom up so that they do sell themselves, right? So there has to be value to the users in a way that drives value to the organization. So there is still a C-suite play. It's just that C-suite play will funnel up instead of, you know, it's going to go bottom up instead of top down. Yeah. Do companies run into resistance when they start? Let's say they start, a product starts getting used by one person, then two persons, and five persons, and 10 persons. Is there a point where friction comes back in because maybe the organization realizes, hey, this is, we're not in control of this, or we're not, we don't, we don't have our arms around it? Are they afraid that it expands too fast? Doesn't meet their architecture? When when does all that, or does that become a problem as it scales? 
Well, you hope it doesn't become a problem. And so the architecture, so, you know, every, every B2B and it's primarily software SaaS companies, right? Every SaaS company that is transforming or migrating itself to a product-led growth model uh, is doing, you know, a pretty significant re-architecture of their platform, not only for performance and scalability reasons, but, you know, think about someone who's in the middle of a workflow that involves their job and it's like, the product says, hey, Paul, if you were to use this capability, here's the outcome you could get. Would you like to upgrade? Click. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You pay for the upgrade and, and you continue your workflow. Your platform has to be architected to accommodate that. You know, I talked about the user journey. Your platform has to be architected to encompass that user journey at that level now. Okay. So where product managers didn't have to think about taking payment as part of the product, well, yeah, now they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do you think that there are products out there that people will, uh, employees of big companies will self-pay? I mean, I, I know that I pay for a lot of apps on my phone. I pay for things that I use, even for business. It's it's not something I can necessarily charge Sophion for, nor, nor would I want to. I think it's for me, it's not for Sophion, for some of these apps that I use. Is there a personal dimension to it that, that might creep in sometimes? So I think once your customers have adopted and they've, they've reached some form of critical mass, I think this is where the, you know, whether it's the sales or the account management uh, function changes, because now you do have to start paying personal attention. You know, once someone gets up to whatever is a large number of users for your platform, right? And that could be, it could be 50, it could be 5,000, right? So once you get up to uh, customers that have critical mass in terms of users, then I think, yes, you need to start giving them some personal attention, taking care of them. And instead of, you know, 5,000 users doing everything on a credit card, you say, don't sweat it. We will send you a bill every month or year or whatever the case might be. Right, right. Let's say we're a a small department, I don't know, let's say we're 30 people and we've mm -hmm. really bought into this and we, we get another department on board for 30 people that step up towards what you just said, the company level, right? We're now all of a sudden, we got to go to finance, we got to go to IT, but we're using this thing like crazy, right? I can imagine that they almost can't say no, or it's very difficult for somebody to say no, because now your employees are going to all stand up and revolt, right? Yes. And so it, it's back to, you know, so you're obviously your pricing model is going to change and then how you implement that pricing model. So there's a good chance that finance and or IT is going to be involved early on because once you get up to so you can take any of these sort of subscription uh, services that, you know, and it's like, OK, so one user was good. And so, OK, then you're going to go like individual, maybe up to 10. And it's OK. Now you're going to go from 10 and you license up to 100. And that's, a, you know, there's a significant jump in the price there. So then, you know, before somebody puts the credit card through for 100 users, finance and probably IT are going to have to buy into this. So I think it's right. going to happen, again, internally before the payment transaction takes place. So, again, there's no salesperson, you know, involved in that transaction uh, or it's going to be the exception to the rule where someone says, you know, I need to know something more about your platform before we upgrade to 100 users. So again, it, it's going to be much different than the traditional enterprise sale, but there probably is going to have to be somebody there to answer questions about performance and security and uh, compliance and all those kinds of things. 
Yeah, I would think that the old days of installing software and IT locking down their their endpoint end user systems so that they could not install software. Once we're in a browser, all that all that goes away, right? It's just uh, I just access it's a website I'm going to, right? Well, you know, I, I thought that would have happened, but even when we went from on premise to SaaS software, I mean, which is pretty much how most software is sold today, it's software as a service. I mean, IT departments are still heavily involved because their data, you know, mission critical data is not being stored inside the four walls of their organization. It's somewhere out in the cloud. And there's a whole lot of things they want to know to get a comfort level that you're protecting their data in a manner that is uh, acceptable to them. So that part doesn't change. I think what changes is how it's done on premise versus now it's out in the cloud. You know, and there are standards and platforms that people subscribe to adhere to. And I think as long as you, your platform uh, adheres to the more common standards out there, you're probably good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give a company that wanted to come out with a product that, I mean, that sounds like a pretty comp, a lot of things to think about, right? Not just what your product does, but yeah. the future of your, your product entire life cycle. And as it grows from one to two people to an enterprise play potentially. Uh, so, so how do you, uh, what advice, how do you guide people through that journey? What, I know you're involved in uh, teaching people how to do things and helping them understand what things they should be doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, for any for any company that's well established in a direct sales SaaS model that wants to evolve into a product led growth model, my first piece of advice would be don't recreate what you have on a new platform. Rethink how your customers are doing business. Right. Again, it's back to knowing them as well or better than they know themselves. Right. And help them do something they can't do today or something you don't help them do today, but help them do something that's highly valuable to them that they can't do or have a hard time doing today and lead with that. Okay. And then eventually over time, you're going to back into core functionality that your customers are used to delivering, but start with something fresh and new on a new platform, right? And give them a path to evolve. Because if I have to take, you know, and again, the, the thing that's tricky about enterprise software versus just a calendar application or a video meeting application is you're now into mission critical workflows for that company. So you really have to put more thought into how you string parts and steps of that workflow together and how customers can evolve into the full, the full workflow using your product. So that that's kind of a tricky part right there. So I would say, Think about helping them do something new and then how you back them into some of those workflows as opposed to, you know, launch this new thing and you have to, you know, you, you don't want to do the whole, okay, migrate your entire accounting system over to this new platform and a product like growth model. That is not going to fly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Understood. But maybe some small extra accounting capability that the current platform doesn't have uh, just a small little thing somebody might start using, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, rethinking processes. It's like, well, what if, you know, what if your suppliers just paid you without having to send an invoice, you know, maybe that would be a good start. And then you start to sort of re-architect the whole procure to pay process and get people on a new platform, right? That would be a good example. And, you know, what so many companies are trying to do, especially companies who operate on very thin margins, 
every transaction that they can cut out or every step they can cut out and sort of operate by default. Like if you said you're going to send me this much product, Paul, I'm going to assume unless you tell me otherwise that you've sent it and I will just pay you. You don't have to invoice me. Mm. Yeah, that's a different model. I find out you didn't send it or you tell me ahead of time you didn't send it, then I'll just pay you for what I got. No invoice required, right? This whole matching an invoice to an order is a pretty laborious process, right? So people are researching how these things are done. And to me, these kinds of these kinds of workflows are just totally ripe for rethinking how they're done and taking steps out and they become prime candidates to take someone who might be an enterprise SaaS company in the procure to pay space or the, you know, to order to cash space and rethink that whole process and roll it out on a new platform. Yeah. Yeah. What about the onboarding, John? So yeah, so somebody found you, they registered to use your product. They signed up, right? Mm-hmm. How does it, what, what do companies need to do to be successful from that moment to get the user really going? So, and again, so this becomes again, part of the product, right? So, so I need to know that Paul Heller is a new user and you've just logged in, you've set up your account, you've just logged into the system and you're going to start to do something. And this is where the little thing comes up and says, Hey, Paul, welcome. Are you trying to do X? And you'll say, yes. And it'd be like, okay, I'm right here. Chat me up if you need help, right? Yeah. And again, the, the help part, the product should be designed so that whatever it is you're trying to do is intuitive and you don't need help, but you've got the little chat over there that, that's going to help you if you need it. So the whole onboarding process is, and, and again, this is where a lot of these new technologies like artificial intelligence and some of these other things come into play where they anticipate or they know what you're trying to do. They've learned from other customers. They know what you're trying to do. And it'd be, oh, hey, Paul, looks like you're trying to do this. Click here, do this, do that. Oh, thank you very much, right? It's that unexpected, wow, they've really, they've really thought this through. This is really easy. Yeah. Now, what about companies beyond software companies? Now, I, okay, wait. So, so I'm thinking about hybrid companies, companies that have a physical product, but now they're starting to have a combined physical digital product, right? So it might be a, a website or an app or something that's part of their overall product. Do you see product-led happening for those types of products as well? Um, I do. And so uh, in the B2B space, I don't have a good example, but think about Peloton with the exercise bike. I mean, you have to buy the physical bike, right? It's not like it appears on your screen and you can ride the bike. However, <laughs> The product-led growth model is you get the bike and, and you get to try some of the exercise programs, so on and so forth. And then it's like, okay, based on my workout routine, I like this one. And you sign up for a subscription. And then it's like, oh, well, how about a family plan? Okay. Are there other members in your household, right? And so it's a very similar concept. So yes, you know, the, you're going to see a lot of that, especially in the B2B space, especially as physical products become smarter and they have more technology in them, what what manufacturers have figured out is the recurring revenue stream is very attractive. <laughs> yeah, that takes me to from a financial standpoint, you know, the change, I know the change that our company has gone through from revenue, mm-hmm. revenue was revenue, and now it's something called annual recurring revenue, right? Yeah. We're a public company, but we are have to answer to that change of, of changing from just top line revenue to annual recurring revenue. 
and it's a great metric to say we have a product that's a value because if it's not a value, nobody's going to keep using it, right? So there's a plus to it, right? But there's a, um, it certainly is a, a different way of operating, and and I think uh, the product led growth model is a great way to establish annual recurring revenue because it starts that way. It's not like I I sold you a thousand licenses at so much, you know, the typical SaaS model. I showed sold you a thousand licenses at so much a month per user and it trails off, right? You're in a buildup here. You're in a model that's going to, this product-led growth sounds like it will preserve annual recurring revenue better than any other approach. It will. And obviously, you know, the more mass you gain, the harder it is to keep, you know, keep growing at that same rate. And so I think, you know, the nice thing about product-led growth is, and again, fundamentally no different than gaining market share with new accounts and gaining wallet share with more users. Um, I think you have to take that into account with product-led growth because you start giving your existing customers, the organization, the business organization, more capabilities across different departments, right? So we, you expand your footprint, okay? So there's there's growth there. And again, the, the more tentacles you have into those organizations or the more tentacles they have into your platform, the stickier it is. And then there's the whole concept of getting new accounts on board and doing the same thing, right? So it's very much a land and expand model, you know, through and through. Yeah. So these are all things that product managers didn't think of even five years ago, right? These are all just different aspects of the product, right? Yeah, I would say five years ago, it would have been a a very, very, very small minority of product managers who had to think about that. And those were product managers working for companies that were starting that way, right? That was their business model from the start. You know, legacy companies, you know, five years ago, I don't even know that the term product-led growth, maybe, you know, investors on the front end of it who were funding some of these companies knew what it was. But legacy product companies, um, like, oh, yeah, we need to think about that, but we don't really know what it is. Yeah. So if if I want to have a career as a product manager, this is something I need to understand, isn't it? I would highly encourage it because at some point it will be a required skill in the future because just like everyone went from on-premise to SaaS, everyone's going to go from SaaS to a product-led growth model or, you know, the majority of the market's going to be there in X number of years and it's a critical skill to have. Yeah. Which was going to take me to a question I was going to ask you along the evolution of fairly recent, this whole idea, this whole concept coming along, Peloton was one of the one of the first uh, examples people like to cite. I think it's been written about a number of times, but where are we? Are we, you know, if you think about this evolution, this journey, is it, are we in the beginning, in the infancy of it? Are we halfway? Is it, is it already mature? And if you're not product-led, you've missed the boat. Where do you see it? In the B2B space, it is, it is in its early infancy by far. Okay. Okay. And again, you have to separate that with new companies that are just starting. So for a lot of B2B startups, uh, they're still in their infancy, but it again, it's it's much easier to start that way for for traditional direct sales model companies in the B2B space. Most of them haven't even come out of the womb yet on product-led growth. It's something they all uh, no, they need to do at some point or it's desirable to do. And I think everyone's mm-hmm. starting to figure out how they're going to retool themselves to do it from a skill standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from a business model revenue standpoint. Yeah. And I think your advice of you just can't take your existing product and flip it. 
right? No. So it means you have to have a strategic direction. I know in our case in Sophion, we are well on a journey of product-led growth, but it's 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 going to require new capabilities, ideally linked to what we do, so related to what we do, but something new, something extra, uh, something different. And you know, we it seemed like we just got through the transition of over to SaaS, and now we got to transition again to product-led growth. But but we're up for it. You know, that's why we're here. Well, you know, maybe since you're in the innovation space, helping people innovate into a product-led growth model might help you get into a product-led growth model. There you go. You know, you're not the first person who said that, John. There, <laughs> there may be, there may be something here with process. That process, people can. Uh, there may be a process to determine or how to bring a product-led growth to market. That's a different process than yeah. bringing a traditional product to market. So. Uh, how do you evaluate your portfolio? How do you understand, especially if you're a bigger company, right, with lots of products, you know, how do you understand, are you making progress on it? What percent of your portfolio? Where's your revenue coming from? How does it support your strategy? So I, I think you just, you hit on something there. That's an opportunity for a company like us. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is, is not every software company out there, and I, I don't have a good example, but there are probably some products are out there that aren't cut out for product-led growth just by the nature of what their customers do and how their customers mm -hmm. do business, uh, at least at this point. So, you know, word of caution, it's like when, when mobile apps first came out, people just took screens of their of their client-server product and put it into a mobile app, and it had no value to the user. Yeah. People figured, oh, instead of just putting a press release out that we have a mobile app, we better develop something that actually has value. And that gets right back to your core concept from last time, why, right? Exactly. The whole why of product management, yeah. Now, I can imagine if you're selling software that goes in a, an aircraft, right? You, you don't want the, the, the aircraft, uh, the, the people flying the aircraft just willy-nilly buying stuff, right? It's a little more controlled than that, but yeah. yeah. Well, John, any last minute, uh, you know, as we wrap up here, any last minute thoughts that you wanted to bring across or, or point out? No, I think this whole product-led growth, you know, and this is what makes our profession of product management uh, so interesting is there's always something, a new frontier out there to embark on, and it's going to require it's going to require our profession to reinvent itself uh, once again because of what the market is doing. And so to me, that's what keeps it fun and interesting is to watch the companies who figure it out and get success early on. And, mm -hmm. and then everyone's like, Oh, we need to be, we need to be just like Sophie on. They figured it out. Let's, let's follow that model. Right. Well, f fortunately uh, we have people like you teaching us how to do it, what to look out for, you know, how to approach it. So, um, you know, we, we're not going to figure it out on our own. We need to be uh, talking to others, learning from others. You know, you're out there talking to lots of companies, so uh, you're able to share experiences. And uh, for me, that's always been very valuable. So, Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> that is the most fun part of my job is, you know, yeah. when I'm with clients, I mean, I still learn so many new things and see so many new things. It's just, you know, and I've been doing this 20 years and it is, it is still fun and still interesting. Yeah. And I'm glad you're up for product management reinventing itself. So that's good. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining me. It's it's always a pleasure talking to you. And I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, I'll ask the same question I asked last time. It'll all be in the show notes. But, but how do people find you, track you, follow you if they're interested in learning more? The easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. 
John Mansour, or they can find me at proficients.com, P-R-O-F-I-C-I-E-N-T-Z.com. And we'll have both those in show notes. Well, John, I wish you uh, all the best in the coming uh, uh, months to continue your your work with companies and and, uh, keep the type of, of success you have in terms of whether it's remote meetings, whether some companies invite you back to be on site, however it goes, I, I wish you the best and really enjoyed you uh, joining us today. Uh, likewise. Thank you very much for having me. And to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I think you'll uh, you'll be hearing a lot more about product-led growth in the future, as John said. Just, uh, just kind of it's still in the early days, so there's great opportunities for all of you to uh, to kind of get into it and and mold it and shape it the way uh, you think it should be. And so I wish you a great week. Until uh, next time, take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com. S-O-P-H-E-O-N dot com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.